Hello and welcome to Time in the Market, an Invesco podcast series for UK professional investors. I'm Ben Gutteridge, your host, a failed TV celebrity desperate for a bit of attention, but also an investment director from within Invesco's multi-asset strategies division. In this series, we'll be interviewing some of the highest profile names from in and around the financial industry and from both within and without Invesco. But before the action begins, we want to stress this interview should not be considered as investment advice and remind you that any capital invested is always capital at risk. Finally, we would encourage you to listen to some further important information immediately following the interview. Thank you and on with the show. Hello, everyone, and a warm welcome to the latest Time in the Market podcast. Uh, in this episode, we're focusing on UK smaller companies, uh, a sector I suspect isn't on everyone's radar, but perhaps that sort of disinterest might be a good reason to take a closer look. And so joining us to share his expert insights, we're delighted to be hosting Jonathan Brown, an Invesco fund manager of the UK Smaller Companies Fund and Investment Trust. Jonathan, thanks so much for being with us. How are you? Hi, yeah, good. How are you? Oh, very well, thanks. Very well. I'm delighted you could be with us. And uh, very shortly, we'll begin this sort of interrogation of where the opportunities and uh, threats lie within UK smaller companies. But uh, before that, as our loyal audience will well know, we're about to kick on with our opener, which is, uh, of course, prefer or defer. It's just going to be 10 quick fire close questions just to learn a bit more about you as an investor and uh, a person. Are you up for it, John? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay, good. Right, we'll see how you feel afterwards. But uh, a gentle reminder that it's just you, you pick which option you prefer. But if the, the question you find is a little too tricky, then of course you can defer. Right, let's get going. Small cap or mid cap? Uh, small cap. Value or growth? Growth. Earnings growth or balance sheet strength? Um, I'd go for earnings growth, I think. Management meetings or accounts? Um, well, I think management meetings. I'll go for that one. Banks or technology? Uh, technology. Pound or euro? Pound. Mountain or beach? Oh, mountain for me, I think. Vigman or Southgate? <laughs> I'll defer on that one. <laughs> Oasis or Coldplay? Uh, uh, probably Oasis. Dance floor or karaoke? <laughs> Definitely not karaoke. Okay. By default, then, we take uh, dance. We did extremely well there. The one you deferred on, I think, was Vigman or Southgate. A very, very tricky one. I well understand that. But also, like earlier on in the investment pieces, I could tell you were giving us your preference, but uh, it, was a, it was a close call. So we'll be certain to expand on, on that through this uh, conversation. But thanks so much for participating, John. A great sport. And uh, as I said, it's a good platform to talk about uh, a few things. I think we might have to sort of kick off, though, with sort of the UK economy question. And uh, sorry to start things on such a downbeat tone. But, you know, of course, I, I imagine our audience will be well aware of the challenges we're having, perhaps even more so than other economies in relation to inflation. Does this mean higher for longer interest rates? And does that mean pretty bad news for the UK economy? Are you, are you as downbeat as uh, my question might infer? I Not as downbeat as that. I think... You know, if you if you just read the media, you'd, you'd think everything was terrible all the time. And, and clearly, uh, life's never quite that bad. I mean, the economy's not going to grow at any kind of appreciable rate, I don't think, for, uh, for, for a while. But, you know, I'm pretty hopeful we're near the end of this interest rate cycle. Inflation's certainly coming down. I mean, we've we now got wages growing ahead of, of the rate of inflation, which... Um, 
is the first time in, in a couple of years that's been the case. So I don't think it's all downbeat in the UK. And, you know, let's face it, we've still got full employment. Household balance sheets are in a, in a pretty decent state. So it's not all doom and gloom, um, admittedly, but it's, it's not very exciting either. So uh, ho- hopefully things will pick up as we move through next year. But uh, it's tough to be wildly excited about the overall level of growth in the UK, I think. Okay, well, I appreciate that uh, sort of cautious and balanced message and and in danger of asking you to say the same thing. Apologies. I just wanted you to perhaps restate any of the the positives that you think, you know, are worth taking a closer look at and aren't just sort of you're not paying lip service to. Are there there genuine reasons to retain some positivity about the UK economy? Yes. I mean, as I said, I mean, full employment's a a big factor. I mean, it's a long time since we had very high levels of unemployment in the UK, but uh, I think people forget just how corrosive that kind of situation can be. So I think if people are confident about their employment, then they'll still go out and spend. So it's not to be to be taken for granted, I don't think, that kind of thing. And and also, I mean, the Bank of England has raised interest rates a lot over, over the last 18 months or so. But a lot of the economists we speak to are suggesting that the benefit that people are having from higher interest on their savings is actually outweighing the impact on higher mortgage rates on, on discretionary expenditure. So although rates are going up, to some extent, that is probably stimulating consumer demand at the moment rather than depressing it. Now, obviously, as more mortgages come up for renewal, that effect will dissipate a bit. But uh, I think people are overly downbeat about the UK on on a pretty consistent basis. And I think some of that stems from Brexit. You know, there's a lot of people who are who voted Remain and are desperate to prove that they were right and and so like to shout anything negative from the from the hilltops. But um, it's not all doom and gloom here. I think there are some some quite positive aspects uh, about the UK economy. Okay, well, thanks, uh, John. I want to talk to you lots about UK smaller companies' valuations and where you find where you might find opportunities. But just to uh, reflect on comments that are made by UK large cap managers is that you know they're, they're quick to point out, well, don't panic, everyone, because you know large caps isn't really about the UK economy. That's mid and small caps. I don't know whether you just sort of would take that on the chin and say, fine, or you still think you can perform, or or is there an international element to where you you invest as well? Well, there is an international element to small cap as well. There's about half the earnings within the small cap market are actually from overseas. Now, obviously, that's a lot less than a FTSE 100. So it is a more domestically orientated uh, economy. But we like uh, companies that can sell internationally. We think it it says a lot about the the products and services of that business. You know, if you can win in multiple countries rather than just one, it it sort of validates um, whatever it is that company is doing. And also, it gives you a much bigger addressable market in the end. The eventual uh, size of the business could be much larger if it's a, an international business. So we do tend to have a, a bit of a skew towards businesses that um, that can trade overseas as well as as well as just in the UK. And then getting into the, the valuation point that uh, I said we would talk about, there is clearly a lot of bad news and uh, or, or lots of concerns that people might linger on. Is that reflected in valuations and how do valuations sort of stack up relative to, you know, like history, but also the context of the current environment in, in that we do seem to have lots of things to worry about? Yeah, valuations are low at the moment. There's no, no yeah. question about that. Whether you look at uh, look at it relative to history or to other international markets, the UK small cap sector is very cheap at the moment. So we do see a lot of value and um, we see it not just in, in the cyclicals. Uh, a lot of those that are trading at very low multiples, um, albeit they've got tougher trading at the moment. But we've also seen a lot of the, a lot of the growth stocks that uh, 
that we like to invest in have, have derated quite significantly over the last two years. And whereas through the pandemic, um, it was really hard to justify the valuations a lot of these businesses were trading on. Now we can we can value them on on normal kind of metrics. So you know you could look at a, a tech stock on a peg ratio, um, and we can find you know lots of stocks with a peg between one and two, which. Um, for companies with a long runway of growth, that, that's quite an attractive valuation level. And I do want to talk a little bit more about the companies that you like shortly, but I just wanted to go and ask sort of another sort of macro question, but perhaps a bit too theoretical. But in my period of investing, certainly in the early parts of it, the small cap effect was like a big thing. It's like, well, look, smaller companies can just grow their earnings at a faster clip. It's just maths. It's so much easier. But sort of these days, that sort of theme maybe has lost a bit of shine or, or interest. It seems to be it's all about large cap businesses and that they can they can scale very quickly using digitalization and all the network effects and things like that. I mean, do you ponder on this at all as whether like the small cap effect thing is, is not as interesting as it was? Or do you still sort of feel just as excited as you've ever been about it? Yeah, I mean, when we look at long-term returns within smaller companies, they have been well in excess of, of the wider uh, equity market. So it is a high-returning sector. Now, there have been some periods historically when when that uh, small cap effect has, has disappeared. And the 1990s was an example of that. And a lot of that was down to the TMT bubble and the demutualization of, uh, of uh, building societies and various other things that, that benefited uh, the large cap sector. And the last five years have been similar too. Uh, small caps have underperformed over the last five years. So, and people tend to, you know, they have more a recency bias, don't they? So, if an asset class underperforms for a period, then then they go off it. But I think mean reversion is quite a powerful force in uh, in economics and and in markets. And um, I would expect the the higher growth rate that you can achieve with smaller companies to to exert itself again at some point in the future. And and with the market looking so cheap, you know, there could be a period of, of super normal returns again for small caps at, at some point down the line. Yeah, and that's certainly something that uh, so I want asset allocators to be like alert to. And as I sort of said in the opener, I wonder whether like there is a bit of disinterest in the story. But that, as you say, can reveal itself in lower valuations and a potentially sort of higher return opportunity. Maybe I've got my assessment wrong on asset allocators' interest. I wonder, you're sort of coalface, aren't you? Is the, is the phone ringing off the hook or is no one interested in seeing you at the moment? I just want to sort of get a flavour of how asset yeah. allocators' mood is towards your asset class. It's a tough sell at the moment. I think uh, anything domestic UK is is seen as, as unattractive, which I think is a shame. I mean, part of the appeal of the small cap sector is there are so many stocks we could invest in. I mean, there's, if you include the A market as well, there's over a thousand stocks that we could potentially own within the portfolio. And we're running with about a 70 stock portfolio. So it's a, it's a wealth of opportunity out there for stock pickers. So although the overall economy is looking unexciting, we find a lot of really interesting businesses that, you know, could be two or 300 million market cap now. But, you know, in five or six years time, they could be a billion plus. So um, we still see lots of potential within individual businesses. And what we do is, is stock picking. We're, we're bottom up investors. So that's what we're looking for. We're looking for really interesting businesses with lots of growth potential. And that's what we try to own in the portfolio. So, you know, when you buy a fund such as mine, you're not buying the overall UK economy. You're buying, you know, a, a careful selection of businesses that have both UK and international exposure. And we believe, you know, really, you know, attractive potential over, over the next decade or so. I know, yeah, I can well understand why it's sort of a tough sell. But uh, yeah, one of the reasons we're doing this podcast, I think, is to sort of try and help 
people uh, review the situation, at least have it on the radar. Uh, of course, it's not just like investors or asset allocators who can choose to invest in the UK stock market. It's businesses too. I just wanted to think about what the M&A scene has been like. I mean, clearly I won't forensically analyse it like you might, but uh, 2022 seemed to be a good year for UK corporate activity or, or indeed you know, rather sort of takeouts and things. I mean, what's happened this year or or, or how do you think it's sort of set up for, for, for UK smaller companies? Yeah, there's, there's certainly been a pickup in, in takeover bids this year. There's been, I don't know, maybe maybe 10 or 11 within the UK small cap sector that I can think of. And we've had some of those within the, within the funds as well. So Gresham House was the most recent one, which is uh, an asset management business focused on ESG, ethical investing. And that, that's been bid for at, at quite an attractive premium. So, you know, we hear anecdotally private equity has a lot of funds it's looking to deploy uh, and also corporate buyers uh, are looking to take uh, take advantage of the low valuations as well. So although, you know, as you point out, it's uh, it's a t- you know, it is a tough sell trying to convince asset allocators um, the value that, that is there in the market is, is certainly being appreciated by both private equity and, and corporate buyers. That seemed to me like a lot of uh, really useful background. So I really appreciate that. But would be keen to talk about like the portfolio now and pick out a few things that you think are worth highlighting as it relates to like interesting opportunities. I mean, we, we talked about banks and technology and you said you sort of preferred technology. Is that, some, is that something that uh, you would notice looking at the holdings of your, your strategies? Yeah, we've got a decent chunk of uh, of stocks in in the technology sector, and and a lot more businesses that are obviously enabled by technology. And uh, you know, th- there are some some really interesting companies within the UK's more cap sector in in those areas. So we own a, a company called um, Alpha Financial Software, which um, again was was subject to a takeover bid earlier this year, which uh, is the world leader in in software used in in the um, asset leasing industry. So that's everything from people leasing equipment to mobile phones. It's a very big growth area in the economy and, and they're, they're a world leader in, in, in that area. So, um, you know, we have got quite a few really interesting uh, um, tech stocks within the portfolio. What about the financials side then? I mean, are there sort of bank opportunities or, uh, in your universe or, or any areas of financials that would be of interest? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan of banks. Um, I mean, the way we tend to look at businesses, what we want is companies that have some sort of product differentiation, whereas obviously with money lending, there is there is no product differentiation. We don't really like companies that are highly levered, and clearly banks are highly levered, and they're also cyclical, which is not always a good thing. And also they're under a lot of regulatory pressure as well. So they have a lot of, a lot of things we just don't look for in businesses. So it's fundamentally an un- unattractive sector to us. Within financials more broadly, we quite like asset management businesses. Uh, we like um, we own AJ Bell as well, the um, the investment platform, and they've got lots of recurring revenue. They're, they earn fees even at weekends when nobody's in the office, just on the uh, the assets that they're they're managing. So where we can find businesses like that within the financial sector, that's quite appealing to us. And we own a company called JTC, which is a financial administration business, and again. It's got very good earnings visibility. So they're the kind of things that we like to own within financials. And then what about retail then, in, the, in so much as it would more likely be a more cute play, more focused play on the UK consumer that uh, we, we may or may not have concerns about? Yeah, we don't own very much in retail. It's a tricky sector in that, you know, if you think about the UK high street today and then compare it with what was there 20 years ago, it just brings home how many businesses, you know, just disappear from the high street. So 
it's a very tricky area to play. I think along with the restaurant industry, there are more bankruptcies in retail than there are in practically any, any other sector of the economy. So it's tricky. I think it can be an attractive play. If you can get into something that's got a good rollout story and has something about it that, that can, you know, give it a good level of growth over, over coming years, that's attractive. If it's a retail turnaround story, then we, we've just got no interest. Um, it's very hard to turn around a retailer once it's once it started to go wrong. So, you know, we are selective about it. We own Dunelm, which is a homesware retailer, which um, we think is a fantastically well-run business. It's benefited from uh, a lot of the uh, department stores disappearing from the high street as well. So, so we like that one. But other than that, we don't have uh, we don't have very much in retail at all within the portfolio. Okay. Well, I've sort of pinged questions at you then about like sectors that I might or believe our listeners might want to talk about. What, what sectors or areas of the market or your portfolio would you be keen to talk about? I guess, you know, what, what are the things that I know you will have conviction throughout your portfolio, but perhaps what are some of the sort of standout exposures within the funds and trusts? Yeah. I mean, we typically have about a third of the portfolio in industrials, but now, that's obviously a very broad sector. Um, you get everything from recruitment consultants to engineers within the industrial sector. But we like it. We find lots of companies with intellectual property and know-how and companies that can generate really good returns on, on capital within that area. So, so we've always got plenty of companies within the industrial sector. And uh, we quite like, um, you know, we've been buying into some of the more bombed out cyclical businesses. So Marshalls, which we met the other day, its trading isn't good at the moment, but the shares have fallen about 70 percent from their um, their high pre, you know, their pre-pandemic high. And they sell a range of building products. So trading's tough, tough for them at the moment, but it won't be tough forever. And this is a sector leading business in the UK with some really interesting growth areas in, in they've got photovoltaic roofing products that uh, that play into the new building standards in the UK, the new energy efficiency standards. And also uh, they're growing in, uh, well, concrete bricks, which are replacing clay bricks as, as a lower carbon choice for uh, for building brick-built houses. And they've got 90% of the concrete brick uh, market in the UK. So they've got certainly got growth potential about them. And you can buy it at uh, um, a far lower share price than it's traded for many, many years. So we're happy to take contrarian views on on businesses that are finding life tough at the moment in the belief that uh, at some point they'll experience a recovery. So, so we, we like companies like that. But on the other hand, you know, we're, we're happy to back some of the businesses that have performed well for us over, over many years. So we own a company called Four Imprints, which um, it's one of these companies at first glance doesn't look particularly exciting. They sell promotional products, which at its most basic is things like pens and and. Uh, water bottles with company logos on, you know, they get handed out at, at conferences and, and meetings and stuff. The interesting thing about this is it's the the market leading player in the US. Um, it only has about a 6% market share. But this company's grown relentlessly, purely organically. They've barely done an acquisition in their life over the years. They've grown fantastically well. And uh, they keep taking market share just because they've got that scale online. They can buy up the key advertising terms and uh, and push marketing harder than their competitors can. So they've ended up in this virtuous circle of being able to outspend the uh, the much smaller, more fragmented competition and gain share. And as they gain share, they've been able to spend even more on advertising um, and reinforcing the moat around the business. So so we like four imprints, and and that that's got a, a long runway of growth ahead of it. I don't see any reason why. It's six percent market share can't be double that several years down the line. So there's a whole mix of stuff in the portfolio, and we're seeing opportunities in, you know, as I said, in, in technology names, which um, 
you know, are, are far cheaper now than they've been for, for quite a few years. So we, we've rebuilt positions in, in a number of the more techie growthy names over the last six months as well. OK, well, a really uh, great summary there. So I appreciate that. I wonder, might be a very difficult one to answer, but where you think maybe some of the, the greatest controversy in your portfolio may lie, I, I where do you think you're taking a, a bigger bet versus like peers or the market that uh, perhaps people looking at the portfolio might think, oh, that seems a bit suspect to me. Or, or I know you, it will all be very well thought through, but do you think there are areas of like controversy in, in the portfolio? I don't know about controversy. I don't know. I mean, we're just, I mean, we're not doing anything particularly unusual here. I mean, we're, yeah. we're running with a barbell approach at the moment. So we've got the roughly half the portfolios, kind of cheaper cyclicals, and the other half is, is um, you know, quality growth names. And we're pretty, we're pretty happy to run with that. I mean, the market's very volatile at the moment. And the direction of the market can swing around really quite viciously, according to um, whether people think the rate cycle stopped or whether the inflation number comes out a couple of basis points higher or lower than yeah. expected. Um, so we're happy to run with that balance. And some days the cyclicals will do better and some days the defences will do better. But we're just trying to run with it. We're not, we're not, we don't want to take really big bets right now. We think there will be a recovery at some point, but um, you know the timing's uncertain. So we're, we're just happy to run with a balanced portfolio. So I'm not sure there's anything particularly controversial in there. It's just, uh, you know, that that's the way we want to posi- be positioned right now. Yeah, OK, well, that makes a lot of sense and uh, in line with all your earlier logic, too. So uh, thanks so much, John. I mean, I could keep going, but uh, I want to be conscious of our audience's time. Um, I hope they enjoyed that as much as I did. And certainly, I think, gives the sceptics uh, something to think about. And uh, yeah, wish you well for the rest of the year and, and beyond when that recovery takes hold. For our, for our listeners' benefit, actually, if you want to hear more from John. You can uh, get onto our website and uh, hunt down uh, the quarterly updates that he and his team produce in relation to the UK smaller companies' mandates that they run. But uh, to our listeners, thanks so much for being with us. If you have any feedback or guest ideas or want to hear more from Jonathan, please get in touch with your Investco Relationship Manager or indeed myself on LinkedIn. But until next time, thanks again for joining us. Listeners should be aware of the following investment risks. The value of investments and any income will fluctuate. This may partly be the result of exchange rate fluctuations and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Other important information for listeners. This podcast is intended for UK professional clients only and is not for consumer use. Views and opinions are based on current market conditions and are subject to change. This is marketing material and not financial advice. It is not intended as a recommendation to buy or sell any particular asset class security or strategy. Regulatory requirements that require impartiality of investment or investment strategy recommendations are therefore not applicable, nor are any prohibitions to trade before publication. Issued by Invesco Asset Management Limited, Perpetual Park, Perpetual Park Drive, Henley-on-Thames, Oxfordshire, RG91HH, UK. Authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority.